Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. And welcome to Script Shop. I am Jack Crumley. And I'm Allison West. And we are here today talking with Michael Peake, who wrote The Golden Hill Fortune. It's an 82-page narrative feature. It's a fun, uh, quirky script about two brothers who are trying to earn a multi-million dollar inheritance from their estranged father by reliving elements of their childhood. Uh, it's, uh, it's a ton of fun, and we're uh, very excited to talk with him today. Who do we love this week? This week's episode is sponsored by Queen City Moto, located at 1905 Providence Street in Cincinnati, Ohio, 45214. These guys let us take all of our promo photos in their shop, which was so, so, so super cool. They were could not have been more accommodating. Yeah, that's truly true. And we hear that's how they conduct their business as well. So if you are interested in restorative motorcycle repair, give them a call um, at 513-432-0668. Ask for Scott, who runs the shop. You can look him up on Facebook and the web as well. And they've got a really sweet dog occasionally that uh, shows up. Yes. Fiona? Yes, Fiona. Bark, bark. She's so <laughs> cute. Also, big thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for providing support and a space for us to uh, do the show. Greatly, greatly appreciate all the accommodations there. And if you are interested in us, uh, we are all over the Internet. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Please check us out, Script Shop on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we would love to uh, hear from you and uh, have your eyeballs on uh, what we do. And you are about to hear from Michael and his great script, but we also want to hear about your great script. So if you're interested in being on the show, you want us to read your script, send it in to scriptshopthepodcast at gmail.com. Scriptshopthepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll have all that also on said Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Instagram pages for you to check out. But without any further ado, Michael Peake, welcome to Script Shop. Hello, hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Welcome. Very exciting. Good morning. (laughs) Good morning. It's nice to have somebody actually in studio to speak with, first of all. Uh, And so that means you have to be somewhere in the Cincinnati area, right? Yes. I uh, live in Westchester. Um, Have been in there for about... 11 years now? Does Westchester have a reputation in Cincinnati? Does it have, you know, there's like... You, you mean like farm country is that kind it? of thing? Well, I grew up in Sharonville. Okay. So uh, neighbors with Westchester and had a lot of friends in Westchester. And so growing up, it was nothing but farm country, baseball fields, and country roads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so uh, to fast forward real quickly, I uh, moved away for a bit. Uh, got married, came back, and Westchester had blown up into this tiny little metropolis. Mm. Uh, streets that were never there, little uh, towns that were never there. So uh, for me, it was I, I experienced it when it was nothing and now live there when it's uh, a whole lot more than what it used to be. And it really has blown up. Some yeah. of that traffic up there is insane. It is. It really is. <laughs> but uh, so that little, you're welcome, everybody, if you want to know what uh, traffic in Westchester, Ohio is like. <laughs> yeah, let's on any talk given about day. the most boring thing we could talk about on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you said you moved away? Yes. So uh, I was about eight, 
19 years old and I moved kind of on a whim to Michigan. Um, I had some friends up there that were starting a business. I went up there to kind of help them with that. I ended up meeting who would end up being my wife there. How did you meet her? I love love stories. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, I don't want to say it's complicated, but it, it has a lot of moving parts. Oh so, come on! So I had uh, so a friend of mine introduced me to another guy who I ended up living with. His uh, his girlfriend's roommate was roommates with my wife. They introduced us to each other, and then after that, we just started dating. I we got married, and then I tore her away from her friends and family and brought her to Cincinnati. Uh-oh. Was it a love at first sight thing, or did it no. Did it take time? It took, it, <laughs> no. Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll say this. I was, I mean, I was infatuated with her, but there was, she, she was not uh, into me as I was into her. So that took a little bit of time. Um, How'd you break her? Persistence and just obnoxiousness. Because we all have to give up a little bit. Quite a okay? bit of it, sure. Quite a bit of being annoying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, being annoying yeah. and being creative and charming sure. and sweet and all those other Bring things. There's, there, there's definitely that. <laughs> now it was uh, it, it it was really it was kind of a special little little uh, romance that we had, and you know, uh, almost 17 years later, yeah, so strong two kids and a dog. Congratulations! Yeah. Um, you have two kids as well. I do. I have a 13 year old son named Kanan and a 10 year old daughter named Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they're both uh, great little kids. Uh, sons. Playing junior high football right now, daughters in soccer, all the normal Westchester two-kid family thing. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. Do you you feel like the way you're raising them now mirrors how you grew up? Uh, Some bits kind of here and there. I grew up in a – I'm a pastor's kid, so I I had a – I would call a fairly strict upbringing – and I'm not saying that I'm a a pretty lax in my child-rearing technique, but uh, definitely not as – uh, strict as I experienced, which is you know probably a direct result of well, not wanting to have the same kind of uh, things that that I went through that they went through. Nothing that nothing bad. I just yeah. want them to be a little bit more free with whatever their thoughts and actions are. So did you have to follow um, like a very rigid religious practice when you were growing up? Uh, well. The, I, it wasn't. It wasn't a requirement to follow anything. It just. It was. It, it just was life. You know. Yeah. Uh, go to church three times a week, and your friends were folks from church, and uh, it's just that. Just what it. You know. It is what it was. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm curious. Once we get into the script too, to talk about how much of your upbringing, and then having a wife and kids, and even the change as you're going through life, how much that influences your work sure. also significantly. Yeah. That's, I'm interested to. Yeah, because that's uh that's that's interesting to me. Uh, so speaking of the script, uh, I guess we should uh, probably talk about the Golden Hill Fortune. Yeah, sure. I'm going to read a log line that we have from the script listeners. So here we go. When a stranger from the past comes to Wilbur and Reginald Golden Hill, the two brothers relive a childhood they never knew they had. Dum da dum. Michael, can you set the tone and the setting of the story for us a little bit? Well, tone... I would say I really wanted to, as much as possible, recreate that kind of old school feeling that you had, at least, you know, from uh, from folks my age growing up watching movies in the 80s and 90s. Um, not that it was like this thing of innocence, but uh, it was just a different feeling. You, you weren't waiting for some big kind of slapstick, um, you know, crude humor or whatever. It was just uh, it, it was a beautiful story with humorous elements. 
And that's kind of what I wanted to recreate that John Hughes kind of that feeling that, uh, um, there was a, there was a great story with some comedic elements. So can you give us an example of a movie from the past versus a movie from today that you mean? Uh, sure i guess you could probably say you know your ferris bueller Mm -hmm. is um is a is a really nice story and that has some comedic elements and now you kind of you know again i don't have a problem with it but you got your uh um your your your, uh uh your super bads hilarious movie but it's just a diff like you set them up side by side and it's just a complete stark contrast yeah and so those are the you know those are the those are the comedies that pretty much from here on out that we're going to have. Um, and so I just kind of wanted something a little bit more tender, a little bit more sweeter. Mm-hmm. A little more wholesome, sure. too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think that's like a, an indicator of the times that back 80s, 90s, we just dealt with more wholesome storylines in comedies, whereas, you know, they, they are still wholesome now, but with technology and advancements, including internet, things mm-hmm. just kind of move a little sure. bit quicker. Well, and it was kind of one of the, uh, and maybe you did pick up on it, maybe you didn't, but the, the story is set back before kind of the, the internet explosion. So it's yeah. set in the late 90s, really before anything happened where if you wanted to talk to somebody, you you grabbed your, your phone or you hopped on your bike or and rode down the street. And just this, the, the interactions were, were different. People were more connected. And I think the explosion of the internet obviously creates a, a rift and a divide in that and I think after that happens, you need this immediate satisfaction. You need immediate gratification. You need something bigger, bolder, more in your face, you know, more explicit, more, um, uh, I don't know, dangerous. And uh, back then you didn't need that. You just kind of needed a good story. Well, plus that element of nostalgia too, right? I mean, everybody has such wistful feelings, even if you're talking just going back 20 years. I mean, that's that's a very powerful emotion right there when you're talking about an audience. You you throw on the radio, which is now, I guess you can consider it oldies music, but you throw on some 80s and 90s music and, you know, it, it really takes you back. For me, it does. I can I can know exactly where I was, what I was feeling hearing a, a specific specific song from, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And and so that's another key element for the script. It, it, it if it gets done the right way, it's got it has to be loaded with um not necessarily the most popular songs from back then, but but some of the maybe quirkier offbeat ones that still take you back to that time. Yeah. When it gets done. Sure. Yes. When <laughs> it's done. Yes. When. So um before we get into reading a little bit of the script, so what is there a very specific year and place that this one is set in? Um, I, I believe if I had to pinpoint it down, 96, 97. Okay. And where? Like what location? Mm-hmm. The, the hope is to have it be a Cincinnati based project. That's oh, awesome. Cool. Um, yes. Thank you. Um, Cincinnati. You know, well, it, there's a lot here that can lend to a good story, you know, great architecture, um, but drive 15 minutes away from downtown and you got, you know, great looking landscapes too. So, yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot uh, in an environment here that could you know make a beautiful story, which I think studios are picking up on. There's been quite yes. a few things that have been shot around here sure. over the last few years. Sure, and and there's a bit of a there's an element of a road trip, so you don't need to go far from yeah. the, the tri-state area to to find some great road tripping uh, vistas. So that's I mean you know again you you think of these kind of classic movies, almost all of them have some kind of a road trip element to them, or at least the ones that I loved. And uh, I just I wanted to kind of bake this cake with all the things that. Me and my friends grew up loving, peppered with inside jokes that probably only they'll get, and hopefully 
if <laughs> if it's done right, they'll sit there and, and throw things at me when they walk out of the theater. <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. All right. Friendship. Bro yes. friendship. That's right. <laughs> Which is a big theme in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into a bit of the script. Sure. Um, in Listeners, in this little piece of the script that we have for you, um, this is a scene where the main brothers, Wilbur and Reginald, are out on a camping trip with Irwin. And after this selection, Jack's going to do a beat breakdown for everybody so we know what's going on in terms of the action of the script. But this is a really great example of the tone we have for you here. So I will be reading stage directions. Um, We have Will being read by Jack, Mm -hmm. Reggie being read by Michael, and our producer Frank is going to be reading the boring lawyer Irwin. This is kind of a big deal getting Frank to get (laughs) on the mic with us. Uh, yeah, I love teasing. Should we describe like, who Irwin is? Yeah, go so for it. Well, so the, we kind of briefly touched on it. Um, the, the boys are in the process of potentially receiving a large inheritance. Mm-hmm. Their father, who was estranged to them at a very, very early age, um, uh, has reap- somehow reappeared in their life in the form of this lawyer who tells them their father is dead. And the father uh, would like to rectify that. Through the lawyer. And so what the lawyer is asking the boys to do is go on this adventure and relive uh, the significant moments that they should have had with their father, you know, going on a camping trip, learning how to ride a bike, learning how to swim, you know, teaching them the the birds and the bees, all sorts of things that uh, they should have experienced with the father. Now they will do through the lawyer. And if they meet all the items on this checklist, they will receive their inheritance. And since the lawyer is the closest confidant to the deceased father, uh, the lawyer is the only one equipped to make the judgment calls that the tasks are being completed adequately. And so this is this is the, one of the things that the lawyer is doing is I think we're, we're doing a campfire story. Yeah. We're doing a campfire story. And, and this is uh, what Frank's voice sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, audience. And uh, I, I just want to say before we start, I, I love the uh, Griswold family truckster. I, I thought it was appropriate. On. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, here we go. Action. Right. Time for spooky stories. Doesn't get any spookier than your birds and the bees speech. Oh, it does. It sure does. Are you ready to have your spine tingled? Um, no. Once upon a time, there was a young boy who was walking in the woods. He came upon an old log cabin. The boy cautiously knocked on the door. Erwin knocks his beer bottle against a nearby log. No answer. Knocks again. Erwin, again, knocks his beer bottle against a nearby log. Still, no answer. So he opens the door. Slowly. It creaks open. The boy steps into an empty cabin filled with cobwebs. He notices a hatch on the floor with a big rusty handle. Cautiously, he pulls the handle and the latch creaks open. A long wooden, wooden spiral, spiraling staircase appears that seems to descend into the, into the depths of hell itself. The boy pulls out his flashlight. He has a flashlight? Of course. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, uh, sure. Why wouldn't he? So, the boy begins his descent. After several minutes, he reaches the bottom of the stairs and finds himself at the bottom of a dark cave tunnel. A cave tunnel? Yes, a cave tunnel. He slowly makes his way down the cave tunnel, which is covered in stalag- stalactites and stalagmites. 
meandering around, each with care. Uh, what's a stagmite? Stalagmite. Right. Uh, what's a stalagmite? Who cares? Please get on with it. Right. So the boy presses onward and eventually gets to the end of the tunnel, where he's faced with three wooden doors. Not knowing which door to choose, picks the middle door. After a round of eeny, meeny, miny, mo, he pushes the door open. It slowly creaks open. He steps inside and is shocked at what he sees. A room filled with old wooden coffins. Dozens of them. Suddenly, his flashlight begins to flicker. And suddenly, the coffins begin to shake and move and shake and move. And then they begin to move closer to the boy, shaking and moving, moving and shaking closer and closer and closer and closer. Come on already. Right. So they're getting closer and closer. And the boy is so scared. He is terrified. In a last act of desperation, he pulls out a Vix. Because Vix stops the coffin. Crickets. Nothing but the sound of crickets. Get, get it? Vix. It stops the coffin. I hate you. $30 million. $30 million. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> script shop theater. Script shop theater. Oh, <laughs> oh, those long form jokes. They just frustrate everybody. <laughs> when I was reading that and we got to the, the Vic stops the coffin. I, that's a brave choice for Irwin to make in terms of trying to scare these boys and have a good time with them. <laughs> that's a classic dad joke. Yikes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Hinge them and then knock the wind out of their sail there. <laughs> so, so that's a joke that I've been telling for I, probably since I was a teenager. And I had heard it through someone else. And this, and believe me, that is the abbreviated version of that joke. Oh. That joke is, I, I could, I've done a thirty-minute version of that joke, and and clearly has the same result at the end each time. <laughs> Nothing but crickets, and I hate you. Well, and as the joke teller too, at this point, the goal you know is just how big of a groan can the, I get out of somebody? The, the, the right. The goal, the goal of the joke is to have you get interrupted over and over and over, telling you to get on with it. Oh, the okay. more you, the more. Ma- the better, because that makes the joke go longer. <laughs> uh, why? Do I've you... done this at roast, at weddings, at <laughs> at a wedding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god! It's the highlight of the night. Yes, it's uh... somebody throws you in the cake. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 this is one again. This is this is the inside joke that I'm sure will get the most slaps to the face because all your friends and family. They, yes, they know they they expect it anytime we get together and there's some kind of you know group of jokes being told. They the moment I begin it, it's immediately shut down. So on a larger level, when your friends and family are sitting in the theater going through this whole movie They'll get watching, up and walk out. They're... They will get up. I promise you. It's... And then they'll be able to come back 30 minutes later and the joke won't be done. Yeah. Ugh, your legacy continues. Yeah. at the screen for the next 10 minutes. This is one of those things that you need to have engraved on your tombstone. Yes. So that would be a very tall tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Jack, let's get into a beat breakdown. You did a really great job for us, Michael, of breaking down what happens. Okay. And Jack's going to get into a little bit more detail so that as we talk about some of the themes in the show, we have a little bit more to relate to our audience. 
So theme-wise, there's a lot of references in this film and in, in the script, uh, a lot of references to other movies. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like sort of the theme of it, uh, there's that Goonies discussion that happens in the very beginning where they're, Reggie's talking about it like it, it's a prophecy and it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a roadmap for life about preparedness and opportunity meeting uh, in terms of success. So they're talking about this and they're getting ready to have this moment. Both guys, Will and Reggie, their, their jobs are not great. In fact, Will doesn't get the job that he... Reggie gets fired because of a really bad photo shoot, which then leads to sort of the catalyst and the jumping off point of the movie where Will and Reggie find out their dad has died. They haven't seen him in years, but dad's dead. Basically, these characters go to the lowest point they can go. They're not really upstanding citizens anyway. Mm -hmm. They have terrible jobs, and then they find out their father dies. Yes. So, and and not not to interrupt, but to go back to what you were talking about, the Goonies uh, conversation, Mm -hmm. that actually was the catalyst for the whole script. I had written that um, just just to... Two dudes in a coffee shop talking. That that whole spiel, mm-hmm. and then from that, just kind of birthed the rest of the film. I wanted to, I wanted to know who these two guys were. So the script was written around that that discussion about Goonies. Yeah, sure. When we are going to have to pause because this is just like so totally interesting. Were you just carrying around these ideas of these characters in your head, and you, in one day, you just had to write this one scene, and then that led you into exploring who they were. So I guess a bit about how uh, a lot of stuff kind of comes to me. Um, so I, I don't have a lot of time uh, to do a lot of just kind of sit down and writing. So I, uh, I have a full-time job and, and kids and everything. And I'm not complaining. It's just, that's just the realities of, of life. And so I'll, I'll keep my phone on me and just get right into the notepad and just I got a you know, long list of ideas. And so I'll just kind of every now and then get back into ideas and just see what uh, – what's percolating and what kind of keeps popping out at me. And the idea about a, a, a discussion or a, a very heated debate about the, the movie Goonies has just been kind of floating around in my head. And so I wrote the dialogue um, just to kind of see how that conversation would go. And after that, um, I really wanted to know what these two guys' stories was. Um, I didn't know much about them in my head. I just wanted to kind of explore that. And so kind of gave them uh, an identity. Um, one's a little bit more... Uh, you know, shirt and tie, one's a little bit more, um, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin t-shirt kind of thing. And so it, uh, and from that, uh, the rest of it really just kind of, just kind of spilled out. It didn't take long for, for the ideas of let's make this a retro movie. Let's make this a, uh, a, a father son without the father kind of thing. And an imagining of what life of a of of a child, a lost childhood that they never even knew was lost because th- their reality was that they didn't know any better. They didn't experience things with their father that others did, and I don't. That's just that was that that was their life. They didn't know that they missed out on anything because they didn't lose anything. Mm-hmm. And so. there's times when they're a little bit defensive too about they don't really feel like they missed yeah. out necessarily because they sure. still had their mom and they're frustrated with the fact that dad wasn't around yeah. and they had each other. Yeah. I mean, right. their childhood they experienced with each other, and for all intents and purposes, it was probably a fine childhood. Yeah. And so it was kind of demeaning to say, "Yeah, I, I, you need to you need to experience this to have a full life." Well, they, in their minds, they don't. The only thing they're doing is trying to, you know, earn some money because really at this point in their lives, they don't have any choice. Thirty million dollars. <laughs> Thirty million dollars. So that leads us on, Jack. Continuing with the beats. Yes. So they agree to go through all these uh, different uh, things to relive their childhood with this Irwin character, the the attorney mm-hmm. for their father who is dead. They have to go through, like you said, learning to ride a bike, 
uh, swimming, rollerblades, playing baseball, the the birds and the bees. This all there's a, there's a lot of montages of this, the, uh, a lot of them doing activities and whatever, which leads us eventually into Act Three, uh, where they have earned their inheritance. Uh, they're partying with a couple gals that they met at a bar back in Act Two. Uh, ultimately, Will near the end realizes, and this is when the big uh, ending mm-hmm. kicks in, that Irwin is actually their father. Yes. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And then also finds out that Reggie figured it out before he did. Yes. <gasps> the the smart, straight-laced, shirt-and-tie guy is uh, a couple steps behind, really, in the grand yes. scheme of things. And there's some frustration. The boys sort of split for a little bit. And Irwin ends up letting him know, hey, look, I am your dad, and I am also dying. Yes. And I wanted to have this moment where we reconnect. The boys ultimately reconnect to the inheritance is way bigger than what they thought. And uh, everything pretty well works out at the end. For the most part, yeah. Actually, very much so. Yeah. I think so. That yeah. Final, yeah. The, the final shot of, of, of the boys and <laughs> the two gals high-fiving <laughs> as they're getting onto a helicopter is yeah. pretty great. So I kind of I, – and, you know, I, I – I, you can't tell. I stole. I steal a lot of elements from you know movies from from my childhood. So that was uh, that was definitely my um, Bill and Ted moment. Um, the the two girls uh, I, who I, I really like the characters of Carol Renee, um, but they're they're definitely the the two girls from the the Bill and Ted uh, movie where they they bring them back from the medieval times. Oh and, yeah yeah yeah, and, and and rock out with them at the end with their new guitars. And, For sure. Yeah. So that that was my Bill and Ted moment. Um, but to, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's uh, th- there are themes throughout this that were uh, we won't say stolen, borrowed from from other things, and um, I don't know, I don't know if that was a question that I answered. Or not. <laughs> well, we love hearing you're what you're thinking. <laughs> so these two characters, did you know that they were brothers initially when you started writing, or where did this this male friendship come from for you? Yeah, I definitely knew they were brothers. Um, they were probably close to versions of of i have two brothers and they're probably all three of us are probably a mixture of these two in some way or another um uh, i'm definitely not will and i'm definitely not reggie and my other two brothers are definitely not them but there's definitely characteristics that we all kind of uh blend into this and uh and and i've just kind of put on these two just funneled the three of us into these two uh, as far as casting goes, mm-hmm. uh, we were sort of talking about this before we uh, got in here for the show today. Do you write specifically with certain actors in mind for the roles? Because I feel like th- this script has room for a lot of actor freedom. There's yes. a lot of opportunities 100%. for people to sort of flex their muscles. Do, uh, do you write specifically for certain actors? So, yeah, I have, I mean, I have a wish list of, of actors that would be great. Um, I think for the role of Irwin, I, the, the first one that immediately came to mind was Bill Murray. I thought oh, geez, this, sure. this kind of, so the, 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 when you read Irwin, it, there's not a lot to the dialogue. He's pretty straight-laced, pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. So I wanted somebody who could deliver straight-laced and straightforward with that face that is you just can't not laugh at it. Yeah. And I and so Bill was obviously the one that I I mean I, I couldn't imagine anybody else in there. Now reality sets in, and you you know you're probably not going to get Bill, so you kind of sp- spread out from there. Yeah. So I had this other kind of like so I started to think about who were the. Um, who were the childhood dads from you know TV and movies that were just so big for me? And, and uh, one of them w- was uh, Michael Gross from Family Ties. I was like, man, Michael Gross would be really neat to have in this role. He's just got that uh, very charismatic face, but also just the the, the very straight lace look. And and uh, and I don't know. Every time I saw him 
uh, on family ties. I'm like, man, that's just that, that's such a cool dad. I want him to come and <laughs> I want him to be my yeah, dad. <laughs> know, he's so cool. So I don't know, but yeah, I, got, I mean, I got uh, dozens of people. So for Will and Reggie, um, I mean, I would I, I I can't get uh, Paul Rudd out of my head for Will. Um, for for Reggie again, he's a little bit more of a looser cannon. So you have like your your Jack Black, you have your um, I'm, I'm blanking, but there's a there's a, a bunch of different people. Um, I don't know what did what did you guys think when you were reading them? For Irwin, for sure, I had either Clark Gregg or Richard Jenkins in my head. Okay, uh, but yeah. it, it, in that same vein that you were talking about, with like sort of a slightly straight laced, a little bit authoritative, but can still be fun at the same time. Yes, and after Richard Jenkins did in uh, in Step Brothers, good grief! I mean, that was a hundred percent all through the roof. A hundred percent. But I also about halfway through, as I'm reading it, it occurs to me. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, white characters in the roles. Nope, not at all. It, no. Was that another element when you were writing it? it well, it, it wanted was, to keep it open. It was. It, so w- when writing it in my head, there were a couple of white guys because I, I'm a white guy and my brother's a white, and we were, it was mm-hmm. kind of loosely based off of me and my brothers. But absolutely, uh, the <laughs> the the openness of of the script itself, the the dialogue is not specific to any you know any kind of tone as yeah. far as that goes. It's really specific to a time period. And so um, really as long as the time period and, and the, the, and the tone is, is met, it, uh, the, the, the casting itself could be virtually anything as long as it works. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, cause I, cause I, I was going back and forth in my head as I'm reading it. I'm thinking, well, okay, it doesn't have, I, I nope. felt like it was left open either way. It really is. Absolutely. Um, the uh, you know, the, <laughs> So I've even toyed around with the ideas of maybe the brothers were were adopted and could be you know different races. Mm-hmm. And so e- even though the the father who may have been the adopted father left him, it doesn't change the idea that he could still want to come back into their lives. And so you know the the the, the openness of you know uh, race or creed or whatever. Um, honestly, as long as it works, it works. You know, talking about the relationship between the father and the brothers and the brothers themselves. Uh, I think that brings up a really, really, really strong point of the script, which is that the characterizations and the relationships between them are what make the comedy work. Oh, yeah. A lot of times it can be dangerous to write comedy yes. if there's no heart to it. Yes. It can be dangerous to have um, extensive montages if there's no heart or purpose right. to it. But in this case, you have characterizations that are so, so connected, as well as a situation that is just so funny because there's something inherently funny about grown men role-playing. <laughs> and I want to read this one line from sure. the script that Irwin says. He says, the list is about re-experiencing them, them being these childhood events, with your father. And like your father said, for all intents and purposes, I am now your new daddy. <laughs> Having Just imagining a grown man saying to two grown men, mm-hmm. I am now your new daddy. Yes. That is what really makes the comedy tick. These these um, interpersonal relationships between them, and then the problems that they're going through and experiencing together. Uh, one of the one of the um, the things that I had to one of the one of the struggles that I had was to was to put enough elements of struggle and conflict in there, um, because in my opinion, you don't get real good comedy unless there's some serious conflict going on. And so that was a definitely a balancing act. I would say the first you know, first iterations of this didn't have nearly enough conflict or nearly enough, um, uh, boy, these guys are in dire straits. And so I, the, the attempt was to ba- have a, uh, a balancing act of, 
yeah, these guys are in a bad way. And, and some of the things that sprung out of this, the fact that one brother knew and the other one brother didn't, you know, caused a serious rift between them. Um, Trust. Yes. So, it, 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 and for me growing up, all the, all the, the good uh, comedy gold movies that I remember, there were some serious elements of, you know, everything's going good. And then now everything's gone to crap. And, and, uh, and, and I think good comedy is born out of some serious tragedy. tragedy. Well, this money really brings out because the money comes connected to this these strings of their father. Mm-hmm. And so whereas these brothers may not have been dealing with any parental issues that they had before, as soon as this money comes into play, it pulls it up between them. Sure. They probably would have figured life out without the money. They probably would have, you know, again, they're, they're both out of work. Uh, bills are piling up. Um, they're getting eviction notices. I mean, things aren't good for them. But – I'm sh- you could imagine that they've probably been in a situation not too dissimilar to this before, and they've made it out, and they did it without millions of dollars being thrown at them. And so it really kind of uh, – it really throws in the element of what's really important. Is it family or is it money? And the other thing that kind of springs up is um, you see one brother start to kind of get into it more than the other. Yeah, Reggie's way more into it. R- Reggie kind of he, – he, he's actually buying into the idea that, yeah, so uh, – we di- I didn't think that I was missing something, but and my life was good for the most part. But yeah, maybe it would have been nice to have experienced some of these things. And even if it's through this weirdo guy named Irwin, um, it is kind of nice to have these moments that I I didn't understand. You know, I didn't know I missed it until going through it now. And the other brother, not so much. He's just he, he couldn't be done with this faster. And so. He notices this in Reggie, and, and I would imagine in a way is jealous that Reggie is experiencing, experiencing this on a more emotional level than, than he's able to. And so, you know, again, that, wasn't, that really wasn't a part of the, the, the initial iteration of this. There wasn't that, um, that feeling of, you know, why are you buying into this so much? This guy, is, you know, this guy represents the worst guy in, in, in the world to us, our, our, our estranged deadbeat father who ended up being a millionaire. And, uh, and so I needed some, I knew, again, that was my attempt at ratcheting up this kind of emotional conflict. Um, why did you change the script? Like who reads your early work? What led you into to revising it? Um, so I, you know, again, I, I'm not, uh, I, I have uh, a lot of film friends, but I do have a couple, you know, close film friends. So um, And now two more. And now <laughs> two more. Allison, and also Frank. That's right. So, uh, so really what, if I, if I write anything, there's a, there's I share a lot with Michael Potter, who's a um, a local director and writer and cinematographer, and I mean the guy's just he he, he does it all and he does really really good overall work. nice guy yeah overall nice guy and 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 an extremely close friend of mine and so um, you know there's there's nothing that I don't probably share with him in one way or another whether including it's, your name. Michael including Pete. my name. Mike, right. Do you walk around saying, hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. So our, our, doing, it was Michael? destiny. Our <laughs> wives have become close friends, too. So we're, we're always like uh, MP or what, like who, which MP are you talking to? So now it's you can't be called by our first name. It's either Potter or Peak, one of the two. I had a similar thing with a guy that I used to work with years ago. He had a dog named Jack, and we always had to <laughs> oh, we always had to specify whether we were talking about Jack the dog or Jack the human being. Yeah. That was a thing for sure. I can yeah, see I the get problem it. there. Yeah. <laughs> So he's definitely one of the guys that I would share some early uh, versions of this and, and take some feedback from. Um, once I ha- once I know that I have a, a full rough draft, I'll just kind of keep tweaking it until I have something that I think is relatively finished, and then I'll kind of I'll share it around with with some other folks that I that, that I've come to trust and know. Um, but 
for the most part, um, I, again, I, I, not that I'm an outsider or anything to the local film industry, but I, it's not my full-time job. So I don't, I don't have one-on-one experiences with a lot of people, um, like you would expect a writer or a director to have. So if I have anything, I'll just kind of send it off to, I'll, I'll just text an idea out to a, a friend and, and just get some, get some see what feedback. sticks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. definitely. There's a lot of elements in this script that are very specific, again, because you've got it set in like 1996, 1997. Mm-hmm. At one point, the guys point out hail bop in the sky, yes. which I, I looked up. I think it specifically is 1997. Yes. Uh, but in terms of movie references and specific song cues that are in the script, uh-huh. that sort of tends to present legal hurdles in terms sure. of production or whatever. Is that something that you concern yourself with when you're writing it? So... I, what I didn't want to do is get trapped in the box of legality. Mm-hmm. So, if it, you know, look, if, if at the end of the day somebody's interested in um, and throwing a bunch of cash at this and we get it made and legal issues come up, well, that, that's just a rewrite. That's just a, that's yeah. an easy fix. Um, what I did want to do is pigeonhole myself into something just based off of what could not be done. I wanted to have everything in there that I wanted. Um, I did, oddly enough, you, you've noticed some of the, uh, the references to pop culture. It was littered with a whole lot more than this. And one of the pieces of advice that I got, um, so in addition to, um, uh, a friend or two that I would share it with, sorry, she's taking my picture. He smiled cause I was taking a picture of him. <laughs> Look for that on the Facebook and Instagram coming mm-hmm. up soon. So in addition to sharing it with a friend or two, um, what I did is, um, I would I would enter the script into uh, film contests or film festivals uh, in, in efforts to get some feedback for some other professionals. And so one of the the, the, the reoccurring theme was that the script is good enough that you don't need to have so many okay. references to other movies. So, I mean, I had a lot of Dumb and Dumber references in there and, you know, and it was like, yeah, you don't have to just kind of throw it out there and make it so obvious, let the script kind of... Uh, be itself and the the tones of that will get picked up by those that are kind of looking for that that's a nice note to be given right to be told that you don't need all these other things it was good good on your own one of the best notes that i got and i got a lot of good notes and and a lot of the notes that i got um as 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 thoughtful as they were and as much as it made sense they were things that weren't quite necessarily something that i had to change the script on but they were things that were good to note from a, a directorial standpoint uh, so that you could adjust tone with with a directional note rather than actually changing the script, and so um, yeah, so I, I I got a lot of good feedback. Not necessarily that changed the bones of the script, except for some of those pop culture references, but they were good. They were good notes in that these are the things to watch out for when you're on set and when you're given a direction, direct it towards this idea rather than this line of dialogue. Would you be interested in directing this yourself? That that's the goal. So. Um, all right, so I guess to go backwards a bit and then come back up to that question, um, the reason I even got into writing at all um, was uh, I I started off uh, attempting to act years ago, um, and I still do every now and then when time allows. If I have a free weekend, which never happens, but every now and then, um, if the if the moon's aligned right and and I can get on a set and, and act, I'll I'll do it. But most of the, most of the time, if I get asked, I usually like to say no because I just don't have time. Um, so a long time ago, when I did have more time, I had asked another local um, producer director. His name is uh, Joe Boyd. Um, you know, how are you doing some of the things that you're doing? Because he was having some, some success and uh, making some features here, and 
And uh, and he goes, well, I just I, I stopped waiting for things to get written for me. I just started writing my own things. No, oh. I was like, wow, what a novel and completely obvious idea. <laughs> and so I started to attempt to write little shorts here and there, and and um, a couple of them ended up actually okay. They they, they had a couple of decent festival runs, and and so that kind of after that, I had the I had the bug, I had the writing bug, which sprung into uh, the directing bug. So I. I wrote a couple short films, and I wrote like a medium-length film to kind of ease my way into into that whole kind of scene. Ended up directing, uh, co-directing that uh, that film. It was called Jacob's Paradox, which actually I don't know if if, if I'm allowed to say, but go for it. Okay, so uh, we finished it about a year and a half ago, um, percolating um, as far as finishing the festival run, and now we've been working on getting it on Amazon Prime. So now you can actually see it. It's on streaming on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, score! What's it called again? Jacob. Jacob's Paradox. Yeah. So it's a, it's all local Cincinnati-made film, all all local actors, all local uh, um, cast and crew and producers, and um, it was very much a, a labor of love. Uh, took about a year, about a year of total filmmaking. It was weekends and nights, and you know, even for a, a thirty-six-minute film, it just took a long time. To yeah, because you have to squeeze all that time out of the time of that you don't have. Yes, and coordinate everybody's schedules as yes. well. So. That was really my my first kind of um, taste of writing and directing, and so from then on out, I just kind of wanted to keep that going as much as possible. So yeah, the, to answer your question, the goal would yes, I would love to be able to direct it. Realities are sometimes not quite that, and and you know if somebody's interested in, in in buying it and making it themselves, that's something I'm definitely going to have to entertain. Um, but the uh, the end all be all would would to have it get it funded, made, directed, and produced here in Cincinnati. Is this script still something that you feel like is you're, you're still working on? Is it still in motion, or do you feel like this is locked in and it's? Uh, are you still devoting a lot of thought to it? At this point, it's a locked script. Now, uh, obviously, when you get cast members and you know uh, other moving parts involved in it from a production standpoint, yeah, all that can get thrown out the window and, and rewrites could happen. Especially when when you have money involved and. People that are bankrolling it want to uh, have <laughs> have their say in what goes on. Sometimes you have to listen to that. Um, but for me, and again, in a perfect world, if 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 I have a, a bag of money and I can go out and make it, it's it's it, it is what it is. Yeah. What what parts of the script do you think are most susceptible to change if somebody else was to come in? Uh, probably definitely the music choices that I have in there, or maybe some of the. Uh, um, Not the kid and play reference because those guys, when they're at the bar and the kid and play thing kicks in, that's got to happen. Again, how great is it to have a dance off? <laughs> right? <laughs> you can't, it's, again, one of those things that, you know, I've, it's, I've dreamt forever of having a dance off in one of my movies. <laughs> those are the kinds of things that, as an actor, you just read a script and go, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm doing this. Yes. Yeah. I'm doing this. This really was my, uh, my, my, my playground. Uh, things that I've been wanting to put in there for a long time just made it in. And so again, you know, if you if you get some producers involved, um, I, I really couldn't tell you specifically what I think may happen, other than some sp- very specific legal things. Uh, some of the some of the uh, the pulp culture references to films or music or whatever, I'm sure that will probably have some kind of change. I, I, you know, obviously to get the music in it that I want, that's going to take some 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 good money, mm-hmm. and that will adjust on the fly depending on the budget. I'm sure. And the studio too. And the studio, yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I I wanted to ask what else you're working on lately. What other kinds of things are just rolling around in your life right now? Um. Well, so this is this is kind of the the forefront of of what I'm working on as far as trying to get it off the ground. Um. 
there, there's uh, there, there's a, a local filmmaker, David James, who's working on a web series right now that I'm doing some acting parts in that. Um, and then as far as writing goes, I'm in the very, very, very beginning stages of writing my next feature. Um, it's, uh, I, I wanted to, I wanted to, so I got my, I got my comedy out of me. Uh, now I want to get back into some, uh, action, action adventure. I want to bring back the, uh, the old school Indiana Jones kind of action yeah. adventure that's treasure cool. hunt. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm in the, the very, I'm in like in the research phase. I'm, I'm uh, researching um, kind of a, an interesting subject uh, called the Voynich Manuscript. I don't know if you've ever heard oh, of it. Oh, there was just a thing about this online. Like somebody's claimed they just translated it recently, I right? I have no idea what this is. You're going to have to film it in. Int- it's a really weird thing. But when I tell you why it's why it's interesting, you'll I think, I don't know, maybe you'll agree why, it's, why it could be a good uh, topic for a film. Um, so it's a, it's a manuscript written and illustrated back in like the 14th century, 13th, 14th century. They don't know who wrote it. They don't know what it is because it's written in an, in an undecipherable language. It, and for years, people have tried to translate it. Uh, I did see the same article. Yeah, some dude says he some, figured it out. He, he did, and I actually read a little bit more on it. He, 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 he thought that there was some kind of uh, – he thinks that the language is written in abbreviated versions of the, like the Latin language, which mm. uh, they still couldn't piece together what he was getting at. Um, so it's, it's a very, if you ever, if you Google it, it's, it's a bunch of weird illustrations of like plants that don't exist and, you know, uh, women in bathtubs and celestial, uh, formations and, oh wow and it's a very, it's a really large manuscript, but it's, it isn't deciphered. So really you can make it whatever you want. You mm-hmm. could, you, as a, as a writer or a director, you can, you, you can translate it however you want because nobody else has translated it before. Yeah, and especially if you can get in there first, man, that would you yes. set the tone. Yes. So uh, that's kind of that, that's percolating in my head right now. And like what to do with that kind of yeah, literally it is, open it, book. A very, very, very open <laughs> book. Yes. Open manuscript. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what that's that is the bare bones of what I'm working on right now. So that's uh, and and that's in terms of what's next for you. Do you have any other thoughts other than other than that right now? Other than that, and and, and any way I can getting uh, Golden Hill off the ground, that's, okay. those are the two focuses. What do you think the next step is for you for Golden Hill? Um, you know, well, things like this are are a godsend. You know, have, have somebody interested in hearing about it? That's, that's you're huge. welcome. Yes, thank you. I, it, it relieved <laughs> me when this kind of literally fell into my lap. I, it couldn't have been better timing. And I, I, you know, I'm getting into a place where I'm really comfortable with. You know, as you mentioned, is is a script locked? Well, yeah. In my opinion, it's locked, and yeah. I can. I can feel comfortable talking about it, confident that I think the story's you know doing well. Um, it's it's done. It's had a pretty good festival run. It's won a few film contests and festivals, and nice. and uh, and so um, I know there's a story there. I know that there, or at the very least, in my opinion, um, a, a story there that uh, I think could and would resonate with a lot of people. It may not be everybody's bag, but you know, I, I think there's enough people that want uh, sentiment and and just this kind of, oh man, I remember that. I, I remember that feeling and, and could use a bit of that right now. Um, and so the hope is to make it before that need is gone. And uh, I, it's interesting. You, the, 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 the late 80s, 90s is getting a resurgence right now. And you yeah. got the Goldbergs and... and, uh, and Stranger, uh, Things Stranger Things on Netflix. Yeah. And, and there's some other movies coming out like very, very soon um, that uh, uh, I think Seth Rogen's doing a... Or no... A, Seth Rogen or 
one of their crew is doing a, a 90s feature coming out here soon and so it's kind of getting this renaissance and yeah. I, you know and I, again if it if it happens now or in the near future it's hitting a really good time for that kind of uh just take me back kind of feel mm-hmm. so you're just working on getting some exposure to maybe yes. connect you to the next people for this sure and and you know with i can't get super specific because the, the, the specifics are very vague but you know there there I, I i have had some 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 very superficial interests and in, and in, in i'm trying to cultivate that i can't talk much about it but uh trying to cultivate some of the uh the interest and again this is all fairly recent too um so just you know just trying to put as many tentacles out there as i can see who's interested in doing something so in terms of cultivation how can people find your stuff get a hold of you what's what's the best way uh if those are interested to check you out sure well uh, i guess as far as seeing maybe anything that i've done before to say hey you know is this guy you know blown smoke or is 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 there something there um they could check out jacob's paradox for free on amazon prime that would be one way um you know they could they could get a taste of something that i've written and directed before um they, uh, I, th- I think you guys may be posting the script, um, so that would be another way for them to please uh, read it. Mm-hmm. Please to, read to, his to work. Take a look at it. Um, uh, I, I'm on Facebook. If you don't, I mean, you can see pictures of like my kids and my dog and oh, stuff. I'm gonna uh, stalk you now. It's inspiration, <laughs> sure. So I, I did. Hey, God, it's gonna sound so dumb, but <laughs> all right. So the other, I, I'm very well. I, I'm very into it. I'm definitely not a, but I'm very into photography. But I'm not a photographer. Um, but I did, uh, I did start a, a like a Facebook page of some of my photography. So you can look it up if you can find it. It's called Michael's Pictures. Um, so that, you know, again, if you just want to see if, if, if my creative style is something that you're interested in, you know, talking to or whatever, you can go look for that. Um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't have like a web page. I don't, okay. I think I have a Twitter page, uh, but I, I play on it like once every four months. You know, if I get with you on Twitter, I'm just going to make fun of you. That's you, all I'm going to do. I'm sure you will. I'm sure. And I'm, I'm fine with that. Hey, believe me, you, you'll be the one that will engage with me on Twitter. Cause I don't think anybody even knows I'm on there. That's okay. My Twitter account is sad. Yeah. It's sad. When I reread it, I'm just like, what was I even what was I even talking about? <laughs> uh, um, Michael, it's been so great having you in here. Uh, this has been awesome. It's nice that you're easy, easily accessible online, Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, your photos, your movie. Yes. We love talking about your work, and it's been great having you here. Thank you, guys. Thanks very I much. I appreciate it so much. It's been a blast. <laughs> and just as Michael talked about, Script Shop is committed to furthering the work of screenwriters. We love your stories, and if you'd like to talk about your work, just send your scripts to scriptshopthepodcast at gmail.com. We'll respond. We'll give them a read. We'll schedule you for an interview. We love hearing what's going on. And we also need your support. Please, if you are uh, digging what you're listening to, check us out on iTunes. Leave us a rating. Uh, We would love to hear back from you, comments, anything like that. Subscriptions. Tell your friends. Tell your pets. We would love it. Uh, And again, check us out online. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, We are uh, everywhere that we would like for you to find us. So please do that. And that's a wrap. See you next time on Script Shop. Thanks. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, Script Shop Show.